Chapter Thirteen of Ruth Fielding at Briarwood Hall. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joanne Roshan. Ruth Fielding at Briarwood Hall, or Solving the Campus Mystery. By Alice B. Emerson. Chapter Thirteen, Beginnings. Youth adapts itself easily and naturally to all change. Ruth Fielding and her chum, before that second evening at Briarwood Hall drew in, felt as though they had known the place for months, and some of the girls all their lives. It was thus. The most natural thing in the world to assemble at meals when the school bell tapped its summons to stand while the grace was being said to chatter and laugh with those at the table at which they sat to speak and laugh with the waitresses and with old tony foyle and with miss scrimp the matron of their house and to bow respectfully to miss picolet Miss Kennedy, the English teacher, Miss O'Hara, before whom Ruth and Helen would come in mathematics, and the other teachers as they learned their names. Dr. Tellingham, although affording some little amusement for the pupils, because of his personal peculiarities, was really considered by the girls in general a deeply learned man and when he chanced to trot by a group of the students on the campus in his stoop-shouldered purblind way their voices became hushed and they looked after him as though he really was all he pretended to be or all he thought he was he delved in histories ate slept and seemed to draw the breath of his nostrils from histories. That the pamphlets and books he wrote were of trivial importance, and seldom if ever saw the light of print, was not made manifest to the Briarwood girls in general. Ruth and Helen were not unpopular from the start. Helen was so pretty and so vivacious that she was bound to gather around her almost at once those girls who were the more easily attracted by such a nature. While for Ruth's part, the little Prims found that she was both kind and loving. She did not snub the smaller girls who came to her for any help, and before this day was over, which was Friday, they began to steal into the chum's duet in twos and threes to talk with Ruth Fielding. It had been so at the school near the Red Mill, and Ruth was glad the little folk took to her. Late in the afternoon, the two friends from Cheslow went out to the main entrance of the grounds to meet Old Dolliver's stage from Seven Oaks. It had been noised about that a whole nursery of infants was expected by that conveyance, and Mary Cox and Madge Steele, each with her respective committee, were in waiting to greet the newcomers, 
on behalf of their separate societies. And we'll welcome them as fellow infants, whispered Ruth to Helen. Let's hold a reception in our room this evening to all the newcomers. What say, Helen? Her chum was a little doubtful as to the wisdom of this course. She did not like to offend their friends in the uppities. Yet the suggestion attracted Helen, too. I suppose if we freshmen stick together we'll have a better time, after all, she agreed. As the time of the appearance of the new stage drew near, approximately half the school was gathered to see the infants disembark from old Tolliver's Ark. Mary Cox arranged her uppities on one side of the path, and they began to sing. Uncle Noah, he drove an ark, one wide river to cross. He made a landing at Briarwood Park, one wide river to cross. One wide river, one wide river of Jordan, one wide river, one wide river to cross. <laughs> Old Dolliver, all one wide grin and flapping duster, drove his bony horses to the stopping-place with a flourish. "'Here we be!' he croaked. "'The old craft is just a-bulging over with infants!' Mary Cox pulled open the door, and the first newcomer popped out, as though she had been clinging to the handle when the fox made the movement. "'The infants got out, one by one, one wide river to cross. The first infant bumps into a great big stone, one wide river to cross. And there really was heavy to receive the newcomer, with open arms who said, while the others chanted the refrain, "'My name's Jenny Stone, and you're very welcome to Briarwood.' "'And what's your name, infant?' The girls in the stagecoach had been forewarned by old Dolliver as to their probable greeting, and they all took this in good part. They disembarked with their bags and parcels, while Tony Foyle appeared to help old Dolliver down with the heavier luggage that was strapped upon the roof and in the boot behind. Mary Cox continued to line out the doggerel, inventing some telling hits as she went along, while the uppities came in strongly on the refrain. There was much laughter and confusion, but the arriving infants were lined up two by two between the long rows of Briarwood girls, and were forced to march toward the hall by this narrow path. "'Come! We're infants, too!' exclaimed Ruth pulling Helen by the sleeve. "'We will lead the march!' She drew her chum away with her, and they introduced themselves to the girls at the head of the column of freshies. "'We are Helen Cameron and Ruth Fielding,' said Ruth cordially. "'We only got here yesterday, so we are infants, too. We will take you to the office of the preceptress.' So the chums bore their share of the indignity of being marched up through the grounds like 
culprits, and halted the file at the steps of the main building. We have duet number two in the West Dormitory, said Ruth boldly to the newcomers. When you have found your rooms and got settled, after supper that will be, you are all invited to come to our room and get acquainted with the other infants. We're going to get as many together this evening as we can. Now do come. Oh, Ruth, whispered Helen, when they were out of earshot of the others, what will the uppities say? We're not interfering with either of the school clubs, declared her chum emphatically. But I guess it won't hurt us to become acquainted with those who are as new here as ourselves. The old girls don't feel strange or lost. It is these new ones that need to be made to feel at home. Timid for herself. Ruth had begun to develop that side of her character, which urged her to be bold for the general good. She appreciated keenly how awkward she had felt when she arrived at Briarwood the day before. Helen, although not lacking in kindliness, was less thoughtful than her chum, and she was actually less bold than her chum, too. Ruth made it a point to see and speak with all the new scholars whom she could find, repeating her invitation for a meeting in her room. Whether Helen helped in this matter she did not know. Her chum was not enthusiastic in the task, that was certain, and indeed when the hour came after supper, Helen was closeted with Mary Cox in the quartet room next door to the chamber and study in which she and Ruth Fielding shared together. That Ruth felt more than a little hurt, it's unnecessary to say. She had felt the entering wedge between them within a few hours of their coming to the school. The uppities were much more friendly to Helen than herself and Helen was vastly interested in Mary Cox, Bell Tingley, Luella Fairfax, and some of the other livelier members of the Up and Doing Club. But after a while Helen strolled into her own room and mingled with the infants who had there assembled. They had come almost to their full strength. There were no sessions of either the F.C.'s or the Uppities on this evening, and Miss Picolet, whom Ruth had spoken about the little reception to be held in her room, approved of it. Helen was bound to be popular among any crowd of girls, for she was so gay and good-tempered. But when someone broached the subject of school clubs, Ruth was surprised that Helen should at once talk boldly for the uppities. She really urged their cause as though she was already a member. I'm not at all sure that I wish to join either the forwards or the up and doings, said Ruth quietly, when one of the other infants asked her what she intended doing. But you'll have no friends here, not among the juniors, and seniors at least, if you don't join some club, Helen exclaimed. 
There are enough of us right here to found a society, I should say, laughed Ruth. And we're all in the same boat, too. Yes, agreed Sarah Fish, one of the infants just arrived. And what do these older girls really care about us? Very little, I'm sure, except to strengthen their own clubs. I can see that, she continued, being a very practical, sensible girl, and downright in speech and manner. Two of them came into our room at once, the girl they called the Fox, and Miss Steele. One argued for the forwards and the other for the up-and-doings. I don't want either. I don't want to join either, broke in another girl, by name Phyllis Short. I think it would be nicer for us infants, as they call us, to keep together. And we're no younger than a good many of the juniors. <laughs> Ruth laughed. We expect to take all that good-naturedly. But I don't like the idea of being driven into one society or the other, and I don't mean to be, she said emphatically. Hear, hear! cried Miss Fish. "'Well, I don't think it will be nice at all,' said Helen, in some heat, "'to refuse the association with the older girls here. "'I, for one, want to get into the real school society. "'But, I, but suppose we start a club of our own,' interrupted the practical Sarah. "'Why? What could just a handful of new girls do in a society?' "'It would look silly!' cried Helen. "'We won't keep the older girls out of it if they want to join,' laughed Sarah. "'There has to be a beginning to everything,' rejoined Phyllis Short. "'I don't believe those uppities have many more members than are right here in this room tonight,' said Ruth quietly. "'How many do we number here? Twenty-six? Twenty-six, counting your roommate, said Sarah. Well, you can count her roommate out, declared Helen sharply. I'm not going to make myself a laughing stock of the school by joining any baby society. Well, said Phyllis Short calmly, it's always nicer, I think, to be a big frog in a little puddle than to be an unrecognized croaker in a great big pool. Most of the girls laughed at that, and the suggestion of a separate club for the infants seemed to be well received. Ruth, however, was very much troubled by Helen's attitude, and she would say no more beyond this. We will think of it. There is plenty of time. Only those who feel as we do "'As you do?' snapped Helen. "'As I do, then, if you insist,' said Ruth bravely. "'Would better not pledge themselves to either the F.C.'s or the Uppities "'until we have talked this new idea over?' "'And with that the company broke up, and the new girls went away to their rooms. "'But Helen and Ruth found a barrier raised between them that evening.' and the latter sprinkled her pillow with a few quiet tears before she went to sleep. End of chapter 13 Recording by Joanne Rochon